Hello, all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today, we are going to be reviewing the next film in the Matrix franchise world, Matrix 2 which is the official title, I suppose, is The Matrix Reloaded. Okay, Sari, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for The Matrix Reloaded? Sure. Freedom fighters Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus continue to lead the revolt against the machine army, unleashing their arsenal of extraordinary skills and weaponry against the systemic forces of repression and exploitation. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Let's start off with our one-sentence summaries for this movie. Yeah, mine is over two hours of talking without meaning and action without stakes. Ooh, she's (laughs) got some feelings about this movie. I have feelings about this movie. I do. I do. (laughs) Yeah, that'll be fun to unpack. Yes. Um, my summary is the best way to communicate a philosophy paper's thesis is with a very athletic Keanu and flashy action fits. <laughs> there are some good lines in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then there are some very bad lines in this yes. movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's all mixed together in one big yep. smoothie. <laughs> all right. Well, let's dive in and start off with initial thoughts of this movie. Uh, yeah, I did not like this movie. Uh, <laughs> Pop off. Um, I, okay, so I, I'd be a little bit more willing to be forgiving of this, I think, if we hadn't just watched The Matrix. And The Matrix is uh, so damn good. And yeah. it, like, almost everything about it is, is perfect. There are a few things that I would change that we talked about last time. On the whole, that movie is brilliant and it's lean and it's, I don't know, like in my mind, it's kind of this like scrappy movie that could, you know, all these people were against it and then they finally got it made and it was this like revolutionary Mm. film. (laughs) And so then you get this second one and it, it's not good. Um, it, it almost feels like if, if the first one was like scrappy and lean, this one feels like bloated and like overindulgent and just not a lot of substance there. Um, so I really wish that that they had had more time to really like flesh out these concepts, but then also cut away the fat because uh, there's just so much excess here that I don't think is necessary and then it, it, it detracts from some of the points that I feel like the movie is trying to make. Um, I feel like there's just so much dialogue, but nobody actually ever says anything. And so then they're they're <laughs> explaining some like really important things, but I'm going, but you're not actually saying anything. Like you're making word sounds, but you're not communicating any meaning to me. So even struggling to figure out like what is this movie about, like what is happening in the matrix and to these characters, but also like what is the movie about in more of like a philosophical sense? I just didn't know because I don't feel like they took enough time to really make this script as good as it could be and as good as it should be for a follow-up to such a good freaking movie. 
Yeah, I agree. It's hard to do the second movie in a very successful um, – following mm-hmm. a very successful first movie. It, you know, like our expectations are much higher. We're no longer just new to the world and exploring this new world. We now have expectations about the world building. Um, I think that this movie has some interesting ideas. They're just, as you mentioned, kind of lost. Um, And the ideas that it's looking to explore and the implications of how the Matrix is designed and how it's architected never really amount to anything substantial for the characters or for the world that they're in. Um, So I have lots of thoughts about the ending of this movie, basically from the architect scene to the end of the movie. Um, And I think in general, if we had to summarize what this movie, what happens in this movie, it feels like not that much happens. Um, and then mm-hmm. I think a little further and actually like, oh, well, we find some interesting things about how the Matrix works and, you know, the source and all that stuff. But it feels like nothing happens in this movie. There's some great like action set pieces that are like thrown in there that I think um, help to keep our attention engaged through those like really heavy dialogue sections. Um, but it feels like, the people that were thinking about this movie were like, ooh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this and did this and this, this? There's these independent ideas that exist, but they aren't um, woven together. There's no buildup for them, and they don't ultimately have any implications for the character of the world, which is a shame because there's so much potential for some of the concepts that this movie is looking to explore to have really big implications. You know, the illusion of choice, the um, implications about the prophecy and its design in the matrix and that it wasn't really real. Like all of those subversions are really interesting. Um, just feels like they didn't explore it fully enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I was watching and they would like talk about some of those things. I was like, Oh, that's a really interesting concept. And then they just like move on to something else. And I'm like, yes, no, wait, no, that was actually really good. Yep. Yep. Like do something with that idea. Like show us what that mm-hmm. concept could really look like for these characters that we're invested in and the mission that they're on. Not, mm-hmm. it, it means nothing. They almost like demo it and then yeah. never get to actually like taste it and chew on it and explore it fully. Yeah, and they they tried to do that with the whole like cause and effect thing and like Neo <laughs> choosing something and all of that. So like I, I see what they were trying to do. But they just didn't do it well. Like it it felt like everything was just like you said, like all of these different disparate ideas. And then they just kind of like threw them all together, hoping that they Mm -hmm. would work. I'm like, nope, I I wish that they would have just taken a little bit more time. Like the first Mm -hmm. script took them like five and a half years. I needed them to spend a little longer on the second one just to make it as good. Like and, and you alluded to it earlier, like. It's rough making sequels. Like, it's very, very rare that a sequel is better than the first film in a series. But this is so far... Real rough. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the first one set the bar so high, and this comes nowhere close to it. So Mm -hmm. I I think that's, that's what's unfortunate, is it... They, they tried to go bigger, but bigger isn't always better, contrary to popular belief. And we really see that here. Yeah. And even some of the world building that 
I had questions about and was curious about at the ending of the first movie, I feel like didn't feel satisfying. I mean, I'll just use one example, which is like this exploration of the world of Zion, this civilization of people that have been woken up and are now, I would assume before watching this movie, like fighting for their independence and to overthrow the systems of oppression. Um, in the first 20 minutes of the movie, they're all having a big old rave. And it's just <laughs> like, it's not what I expected from the stakes and the world that was set up from the first movie for what Zion would be like. I mean, maybe there are some things they wanted to say about here is the the joy of the people that have been freed and they are now able to revel in that. I don't, I don't know. We need to talk about that scene because so long and it's so sensual for so long that I was just so confused and it happened so early in the movie that it didn't it didn't bode well for the rest of the movie to uh uh recover from that mm-hmm. yeah I I was thinking while that scene was going like did somebody at the studio have a complaint that there wasn't enough sex in the first film and so we get a sex scene and a rave all in one to maybe fulfill that like that that was the explanation that I came up with because I couldn't come up Uh with a reason why this story needed that like Mm -hmm. I I do get the whole like hey we're about to die so we're going to turn up like I, I get that. <laughs> you know, that's one way to do it. And respect. The end of the world party. I yeah. Mean, go for it. So I I maybe that was it, but you're right. It lasted for so, so many minutes. Long. Like, oh my gosh. I I just shook. I needed to be done. I also don't like people or parties or anything. So this was just not the scene for me. But it lasted for a very long time, and I don't know why. And and I think, again, that just kind of points to a theme throughout this. Like, there are a lot of scenes like that that last for way longer than it should, and I couldn't figure out why it was taking so long. Like, in the first film, you know, we talked about that fight scene in the dojo, and it goes on for so much longer than we expected. But we're also learning things in that scene. And so it's it's the appropriate length and it feels balanced mm-hmm. in the scope of the story. The rave scene along with a few of the other fight scenes in my opinion are way too long and there's no reason for them to be as long as they are that I can tell. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's there's just There's no me. arc within that mm. that scene whereas the no. the kung fu fighting scene in the first movie there's an arc like that you see Neo slowly gaining more skills. We're rooting for him. We are learning more about like what's possible in the Matrix. So it's exciting for us. I mean, the one that comes to mind that lasts so long, and it's it's exciting and a thrill for like the first half of it, but it does last far longer than it needs to. And it's kind of the law of diminishing return. Like it's no longer as interesting by you by the time you get to the tail end, which is the the Smith's clone scenes. Like they're <laughs> yeah. just it's so long. Yeah. Uh, and I guess we see a couple of different moves. It almost feels like they're showing off about how great they can make their action look. I don't know, but um, that one's real long too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think so that scene, and then also I think when 
Neo is fighting all of those goons after they they save the keymaker and then how that kind of trickles onto the freeway situation like all mm-hmm. of that I think was too long like you could have cut minutes from I think both of those set pieces as well so there were just so many places throughout this film where I was just watching and going like okay this is two hours and 18 minutes long this should have been 45 minutes shorter what are you mm-hmm. doing and like seeing mm-hmm. these places that should have clearly been cut because it wasn't moving us along in our story. So it just felt like a drag. And that's not what you want your movie to feel like. Nope. Nope. There was no arc. No build up. No tension. Mm-hmm. No stakes. Yep. For any of those scenes. There's not a moment where like we're holding our breath. And then we get the release. Or you know it's just it's kind of the same volume for like a solid 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's also one of the problems with this type of story as well. Like, the the one learning that he is the one, or she, she could be the one also, but the person learning that they're the one is exciting because there's the whole doubt and, oh my gosh, then you see them rise to become all they can be and that's really, really satisfying. And then you have a second movie. They already know that they're the one. So what are they going to do? You know, like... So while I was watching Neo, it it was like he was too good. So it was boring to watch him fight, which is, again, that's not the goal that you want. So I get why they have to try and like do all of these really interesting fights and these crazy moves and stuff to make it interesting. But the whole time I was just like, he's he's the one. So he's, he's going to beat him. And now apparently he's also Superman. So he can just like fly out of there if ever he needs, you know, it just, mm-hmm. it became boring to watch the fights, which is, that sucks. <laughs> because there's probably so much effort that went into those, you know, like, and they are, yeah. they are exciting for the first bit of it the first section mm-hmm. of it is great we yeah. love seeing trinity on our motorcycle doing her thing like getting yeah. out of traffic that those were great it's just law of diminishing returns you either yeah. continue to ramp it up and amplify it or it's just less exciting to us one note that i jotted down that's related to your point about neo is um that he just seemed less human less emotive more robotic in this movie um I think the main arc for him was supposed to be his fear about losing Trinity, but I didn't, I didn't buy that. And I didn't feel connected to that. I feel like they didn't explore that or or dive into that as fully as uh, maybe they needed to, for me to really connect with Neo's character. Honestly, I was more bonded to um, Link. I think it's, I think his name Mm -hmm. is Link. Yep. And kind of the stakes there and the woman that was waiting for at home who had lost her brother's in the same ship and like I bought their connection way more um that I was like rooting for him to survive far more than Neo he just he didn't he felt a lot more disconnected and aloof to me as a viewer watching this one than the first one I mean I think we can all relate to those feelings of doubt and um feeling insecure and unsure of ourselves and feeling the pressure of of um maybe the task at hand that he feels in the first movie this one i don't know it just it didn't it wasn't fully realized mhm yeah it it almost felt like like we just kind of skimmed the surface of his fears about losing trinity um like there was no depth to that 
it felt like maybe there's no depth to that relationship too. Like I know that they Mm -hmm. were trying to, you know, really convince us of their love for one another, blah, 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 blah. But I, I think one of the things that this film maybe did incorrectly is mistaking love for sex and those aren't the same thing and so I really wish that we would have gotten more scenes of them just being together or like having each other's back in battle or you know just doing life together and showing their connection that way rather than everything being tied to this like romantic love that they're supposed to feel because you know there are other kinds of love as well. So I, I I agree with you. I think that there's a lot more that they could have done with that pairing, um, especially because Trinity is such a good character. And so I was more concerned just for her as a character separate from Neo, because I'm like, bro, you're fine. You're basically Superman. You just go do what you want to do. Like, <laughs> I care about this chick, though, because she's going to run into battle to try and save the freaking world, even though she's not wow. Superman. So I, I think, again, like my my priorities were different and I didn't care about, you know, the one because he's fine. He's not going to die. So I yeah, again, I think the film was counting on us feeling a certain way towards these characters and rooting for them because of a specific thing, but there just wasn't enough there to connect with. Mm -hmm. Not enough time with them and not enough situations that we've seen them in to buy it enough. We kind of went from their beautiful, fantastic kiss at the end of the first movie to (laughs) Sleeping Beauty Awakens. Ah, the romantic like shag sesh in the beginning of this movie and then we're (laughs) supposed to buy that they're madly in love. Okay. This leads into, because it's all the same arc, which is the ending of this movie where the architect gives him the choice between <laughs> yeah, essentially obliterating the human race if he chooses to go save Trinity. And then I believe it's he resets the Matrix and has to choose 14 survivors and the human race continues on, something like that, right? And mm-hmm. yeah. he chooses to go after her, even though he apparently knows that the stakes are set for him. But even after he makes that choice, uh, we don't see the implications of mm-hmm. the human race getting obliterated or even at least the threat of that at all. Maybe they were waiting to leave that for the third movie. Like, I'm very aware that this is part one of a two-part movie series, right? But um it just made for such an a dissatisfying experience to have these two huge uh options laid out before him in he essentially has the fate of humanity in his hands and we just don't see any of that come to fruition i felt gypped i'm like y'all if you're going to set the stakes you need to deliver on them otherwise like it it voids his entire decision yeah and and I I feel like, again, we spent, like, forever in a rave scene, but we get, like, (laughs) two minutes on the most substantial choice in the entire film. And it's just like, boop, I don't care. I'm going to save my girl. Like, what? No, sir. I I need you to wrestle with that for just a hot second. Mm -hmm. And I needed you to choose saving humanity and foregoing your lover. (laughs) Like, also... That was such a cool 
idea. Like yeah. that that bomb that he dropped of, oh, you're the sixth one. And this is just something that the program cycles through. What? That is yeah. brilliant. Holy crap. And again, we didn't get to sit and think about, whoa, you mean like there have been five others of him before and they've all chosen different things. And that's how we've arrived where we are. Like there's so much to think about with that. And they just kind of like drop that grenade in and then just keep going. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. hold on, pause. I need to think about this for a while. I don't I don't care about all this other stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think especially because we've also seen for the past two hours of this movie how much Zion and these, this civilization of people that have woken up and these freedom fighters have put their hope in the prophecy. You know, there's so many conversations and buildups uh, between folks on the crew about like what if Morpheus is wrong and we're putting our hope in something that just isn't true and we're just risking our lives for nothing. There's all this really great buildup to subvert the fact that what you've put your hope in is all just another system of control and manipulation. And and feeling the weight of that like oh my god moment, we just we never get that. We get a, like a we get a little tiny conversation where Neo reveals the fact that the thing that mm-hmm. Morpheus has been fighting his whole life for is all just part of the system. And we actually don't even see Morpheus react that strongly to that either. It's mm-hmm. just so all, it's also handled blasely. Like I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. They just didn't know the world and the stakes enough to really make that mean something. I don't know. Maybe it's in the third movie. Yeah, and that that's what I had to keep like telling myself when <laughs> when Neo dropped that bomb and then yeah. Morpheus says a line about dreaming dreams being lost or whatever. I was like, yeah. "Really? This is the most interesting thing that has happened the entire <laughs> film and you give me nothing." Okay. Mm-hmm. But we have a whole nother movie for that to potentially be worked out in. So, we'll see. But again, like just poor time management because these Mm -hmm. interesting things that all happen at the end of the film we don't have time to fully explore nor were we set up to even be ready to explore these things because time was so mismanaged in the first Mm -hmm. two-thirds of this very very long film Mm -hmm. yep yep it's it's so it's so true i mean there's and there's all of these um moments along the way that they could have used very effectively. The whole bit about the Oracle also being a rogue program and just part of the Matrix and Neo needing mm-hmm. to figure out, does he trust her? Does he not? Like it all sets up the crescendo to the moment where they also realize this prophecy that they've been believing in is also all voided. It's just part of the system. Like there's so much that can set up them being disillusioned and hopeless by the end of this movie and feeling so uh, fooled and oppressed by the system that they're fighting against and then lead us into the third movie, you know, like bring us to a true low point and then we can get excited about like what what are they possibly going to do next? Enter Mm -hmm. the Matrix Revolutions movie, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And I, I think, I think again, they tried to do this. Yeah. But I I think that they they thought that we were going to be more connected with Neo 
than we actually are. So like him in in real life, being able to suddenly like zap the the big machine things. I know that they have names. I just don't remember what they're called. Sentinels? Sentinels? Sure. Yeah. Him killing those <laughs> things in the real world and then him like collapsing dramatically. And so I think That's that right. we're supposed to think that all hope is dashed because now Neo is in a coma. But again, like there is just a better way to do that. Like capitalize more on Morpheus's grief and Link's grief and, you know, like the whole community. We could feel the weight of that disappointment, that weight of that disillusionment. And then in the third movie, have them rise from that to do whatever they're going to do. It would have been more weighty rather than, oh, this one guy is fallen. So we're screwed. Which no. the prophecy isn't even real anyway. Exactly. So who cares about him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't even see Neo react to the news. <laughs> like, he's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, that sucks. But <laughs> the weight of that and the fact that all of humanity's future is riding on this prophecy that they've believed in and, like, all of that doesn't seem to register. Like, I, as a viewer, I'm like, wait, are we all receiving the same news here? Because you seem <laughs> mad chill about this. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think even from, like, Neo's perspective, that would have been something brilliant to try and unravel. Because he was just starting to believe that he is the <sighs> yes. one and he has all of these superpowers now. And like, whoa, he's clearly the one, clearly the fulfillment of the prophecy. And so then for him to have, like, an identity crisis of, mm -hmm. oh, who the hell am I now? That would have been great to explore. Yeah, But nope, he just continued to be Superman, whether there's a prophecy or not. Great. Yeah, that's so true. It doesn't carry the the struggles from the first movie onwards in an, a new interesting way. I mean, this could have re reignited those doubts. That would have been really interesting. And I think in the third movie, hopefully the prophecy still isn't actually true, but they could have explored him embracing the fact that he has now gathered all of these incredible powers somehow. I don't know how. He's not the one. But Anyway, he's able to wield these without the the umbrella or the pressure of him being the one. He can just be the one without needing the the weight of the prophecy <laughs> to justify or validate him, right? Yeah. Yeah. That would have been interesting. We'll see. I right? guess that's maybe what they do. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. Um, can we also talk about Neo's new powers? Of being able oh to like gosh. reach into people and like oh my gosh, out of <laughs> I was so upset. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well now nothing matters. No, everyone can die, and they will just come back to life. There are no stakes. We'll just avoid them all. As long as Neo is your friend, he's got you. He can solve any problem. He can just reach his big old hand inside of your person and not cause any other internal damage to anything. Yeah. As if like you get shot and all you have to do is remove the bullet and then you're fine. Like that's not the way that things work. Nope. But that's fine. And then he can reach in and restart your heart. That's not beating. So oh my gosh. I very know. Kind I forgot about him. that. You're right. He just gives a little squeeze. <laughs> starts doing his thing <laughs> that's all that it needs no big deal 
Leo's on it. I'm thinking back to like all of the haters of Star Wars that would tell me how frustrated they were with the fact that apparently the Force powers are just like unlimited. Like whenever it's convenient, the character will just gain some magical new power that they can do because quote unquote the Force. And I feel the frustrations of that more now with this movie. I mean, I can see it in Star Wars, but it's all fun. So it's fine. They get a pass. <laughs> in this, it really it really destroys like a lot of the excitement of certain scenes and the emotional moments of certain scenes. You know? I actually thought that they were going to kill off Trinity in this movie. Mm. I was wrong. Yep. Nope. Nope. I have not Wouldn't seen this movie. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, again, like the first movie did a good job setting out the rules and the boundaries of this this world and if you played by the rules then you could keep playing but if you broke the rules then you did but in this movie they took all of those rules and just threw them in the trash can and now anybody can do anything that they want which makes for a very uninteresting movie because like we've already said a hundred times then that means that there is no stakes and if you have no stakes in a movie then why are we even doing what we're doing? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And, and it makes future scenes when someone is severely injured or whatnot. Like it it kind of mm-hmm. er- erodes the trust that we've built with the world that yeah. what we know to be true can actually happen. I also feel like the concept of this computer-generated dream world called the Matrix is already such a like abstract concept for us to understand the rules of to begin with that for him to reach into her body in the matrix which then saves her real body in the real world like it really muddles the the barriers of what 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 even is the matrix especially visually Mm -hmm. we see his hand going in and it's the green you know code flying around on the screen Mm -hmm. and lines of code or whatever like it already is difficult enough to like know, okay, this is what's possible in the matrix world. And this is the implications in the real world. This totally muddles it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then they, they continue muddling when he can now have powers in real life as well. And so that's it's, right. <laughs> it's just too much. It's just too much. Mm-hmm. And I, one, one of the best things that you can do with like a superhero or an action star, whatever, is give them a weakness. They There is a reason why Superman can't be around kryptonite because that makes it more interesting and there are limits to what he can do. It appears that Neo has no kryptonite and he has no limits to what he can do, which makes him a really, really boring character to follow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's so true. And even his internal turmoil that we do see in this movie his fear about losing trinity doesn't have any implications on his ability to perform and execute and Mm-mm. fight you know nope. like there's no no implications between his inner turmoil and how that affects the the plot and this the the events that are unfolding actually as awful as the uh star wars prequel movies are they give they gave real stakes to Anakin's turmoil about losing Padme because it mm-hmm. is fueling yeah. his his like attraction to the dark side, which then has implications for the larger world at play. And you know, it, like 
it works. It really does work. We see those things woven together. Here, he's afraid, but he's still Superman. He can do whatever he wants. He's invincible. I also, the other thing is we don't see him train and be able to earn and gain those powers, um, which I think also makes him just less relatable. He just all of a sudden can do new things. I can't do that, can you? No one can. <laughs> it always takes effort. And I think yeah. it's more satisfying to see the character in a final moment finally be able to to unleash all of that power within him, but only when we've seen them struggle to do that for so long. Then it's satisfying for us to see him like be able to fly or, you know, halt all the bullets and, you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. We don't see him earn any of it. He just whips it out. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I There's something so satisfying about a character failing because we all fail yeah. and that just makes the character relatable. So then when they succeed, we have empathy with that because we know what it's like mm-hmm. to fail. And so then it's satisfying to watch them succeed because there's a, there's a question. Will they mm-hmm. be able to do it? We don't know. Mm-hmm. But with yep. this, there's no question. He's going to swoop in and save the day. Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah. Which then makes me curious what they're going to do with him in the third movie. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, we will find out. Yeah. Where will they go next? Yep. The other thing that I, I thought there would be more of in this movie that we just didn't get that much of is this um, sense of battle between, I guess, the people of Zion and some AI oppressive power. I thought that we would learn more about who or what is is the the like them in the us versus them equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't learn that much about them. We we sense that there are um these sentinels or the like I don't know, the fighting forces of the oppressive system at play coming to attack on Zion in whatever, 72 hours, however much time they had. But we don't learn much about the enemy. So I feel like that was less interesting too. Um, We're just kind of fighting some unknown threat that is going to come and destroy us. But there isn't, there isn't a lot we learn about them. So I just, I was like, who are we fighting against? I want to know more about that. And I don't know if they'll explore, reveal more of that in the third movie as well. And I, I think even structurally, because we're, it's almost like Morpheus and, Trinity and Neo and Link are at odds with both the sentience and the matrix, but also um, Captain Locke and the people of Zion. It it, it almost seems like they're against everybody. And that's really not the most interesting way to play this because they're actually on the same side as the people of Zion and Commander Locke. They just have a different way of going about things. So I feel like even that could have been written better. I know that they tried to write it in a way to create more tension. But the whole time I was just watching and going, you know what, Commander Locke, he's a good guy. And he's just trying to defend his people. And Morpheus, you're kind of being a jerk. So I'm not a fan of this mission because you're abandoning your dude. You know, like it just, it it tried to create tension, but it didn't do it well enough. And like everything else in the film, it ended up just being muddled and ineffective when I think if that had been tweaked a little bit, 
it could have been really, really impactful and made both what Commander Locke and the people in Zion were doing kind of a, a I don't know, almost an aid to what the the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar are doing. So it could have been like this interesting, like one-two punch against mm -hmm. these enemies rather than the Nebuchadnezzar is all by their lonesome trying to fight off everybody because they're the ones that are right and everybody else is wrong. Because they have Superman. They can do anything. They got Superman. They don't need anybody else. Like, also, like, he's now okay. a healer, too. Yeah. <laughs> so then why not just, like, send him off by his lonesome? And, like, yes. I don't, you know, it's just, uh, I'm so bothered by Neo becoming Superman. <laughs> well, and they, they set up the, the kind of antagonism or, um, disagreements between them and Commander Locke solely based on Captain Niobe's yeah. relationship with the Ugh. two men. God. Which, I mean, that could have been interesting. You know, like, explore that a little bit more. There's something, like, Shakespearean about that. Like, um, these two men's egos fighting at each other because they're fighting over the same woman and it's translating and seeping into the politics of this world that they actually do need to work together to defeat their oppressive forces. Like that could have been interesting in and of itself if they'd explored it a little bit more, but they mm -hmm. don't. It's literally a tiny little part of a scene. And we're supposed to believe that's the basis for the entire antagonism between, you know, the Nebuchadnezzar's crew and the rest of the council leadership. I don't buy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, if that was going to be the only thing, they'd need to make it a lot more than it was. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like, oh, she was with me and now she's with him. Mm -hmm. Like, what? That's, no, I, I need more than that. But And even her as a character. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hope we get to see more of her in the next movie. Um, but she doesn't get a lot. I mean, mm -mm. we don't learn that much about her. We're not really invested in her. She shows up to save the day in one of the action scenes on the highway. But other than that, it just feels like uh, it wasn't fully explored. Again, I feel like there's just so many interesting ideas all shoved in here that just aren't fully realized in a way that it all comes together very coherently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just – there's so much potential here mm -hmm. and – I, I think especially with that example, like they could have given Niobe something else to do. I, I really don't like that we have these awesome female characters and they're just reduced to being somebody's love interest. Yeah. There could have been a lot more there. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. And, and I get it. This was back in 2003. So <laughs> we've come a long way in nearly 20 years. but. I don't know. Maybe that's me putting an incorrect filter on 2003, but I think even then there could have been something more there. Mm -hmm. Well, they're also – the women in this movie are typically playing supportive roles as well. Yeah. To the main man that is their partner that is off doing the thing. Um, Trinity's playing supportive character, an aide to Neo. Um, Captain Naobi's playing the aide to Morpheus in all of the action scenes, right? So – yeah, it's not great. Nope. I think we could have done better. Yeah. Also, like, little things, like her decision to volunteer, ultimately, 
which mm-hmm. I think that, that the movie in that scene suggests that it's potentially like a suicide mission. Like their likelihood of surviving is very low. Like I want to know why she chose volunteers. It's not just because she wants to go help Morpheus and save her man because she's still in love with him. Like there's got, mm-hmm. there's got to be more there. Yeah, but I did really like how they did that scene. So like it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, okay, this is actually well written because um, like during that silence, then I think it's Commander Locke who starts talking and he says something to the effect of like, what man would choose to go on a mission where he doesn't know blah, 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 blah. And then that's when she stands up and volunteers. And so I just loved that. Like, this isn't a man's job. This is a woman's job. I'm going to go. And I'm going to kill it. So it, it was those little moments where I was like, oh, my gosh, that was really good. That was well, well written. You know, even how long that pause was and sitting in the tension of nobody mm-hmm. will will rise up and do it. And then she steps up. So I loved that. I just wish that the rest of the movie could have been like that because mm-hmm. then it would have been better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So glimmers of hope. Riddled throughout this, there's lots of really interesting things this movie is beginning to dip its toes into. They just never dives fully into any of the pools. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. doing little toe dips. <laughs> One of the other ones that I really loved was the conversation that Neo has with the council leader. It's like when they're both up mm-hmm. late at night. Yeah. And they talk about like their civilization or their their society's dependence on machines and this idea of who holds the control like theoretically they hold the control over the machines because they can stop them and obliterate them at any point that they choose but they are also so dependent on the machines now for survival that it it it's very gray who actually holds the control and it's solely based on dependence and need and I just think there's so much that can be explored on that concept alone. And it's so relevant to our day and age now, especially how much our society is beginning to be so dependent and integrated with technology and um, compute power to run everything that we do. Um, They're thinking about it totally from like an industrial perspective. I think it was for their water supply and their food and whatnot. But that question I think will continue to remain so relevant. And yet that idea of our relationship with machines and our dependence or or freedom from them doesn't carry over into any other plot points into the movie. So it was a really interesting conversation and a lot of um, fascinating lines that the council's leader speaks and says that um, is why I said this is a philosophy paper in a really interesting form. Um, and I don't know, maybe they explore it a little bit more in the third movie, but uh, that idea alone is so interesting. I wish that there was more plot that was surrounding the implications of exploring that line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The councilman says something to the effect of like, people don't care how it works, just that it works. Mm -hmm. And from somebody who used to work in like the IS (laughs) field, I was like, yes, that is a thousand percent right. People don't Mm -hmm. care all the, all the things that go into making these systems work as long as it is working. And the second that there's a glitch, then they freak out. Mm -hmm. And it's so true of human nature, but I, I agree. I think that was one of the most interesting parts of the entire film. And then they do nothing with it so 
I, I wish that they had just taken one. So philosophy paper idea. You have one thesis for your paper (laughs) and then you just have points to support your thesis. But instead, in this particular philosophy paper, we got 17 different theses and none of them support one another. (laughs) And it's a mess. (laughs) They're just communicated through interesting conversations between interesting characters in bizarre places. Yes. I mean, (laughs) yes. So that like the power of machines and our relationship with machines is like one big idea that I don't think is fully explored. The second, I think they they try to explore this a little bit more. I think they do a better job than with the machines and our relationship to them concept, which is choice and the illusion of choice that we give mm-hmm. to the people that we are trying to control. Um, and But also and the problems that come from giving them this illusion of choice. And I think I think we started talking about this earlier um, in our conversation, but that whole architect scene, I should I think should have been the place where they really showcase that idea of Neo's been given these two choices. And whether that's the illusion of choice or not, he now has the power to choose one path or the other for the future of the matrix and future of civilization. Um, I think they could have, you know, really dove into that more. Um, we see the the French man, that little scene, and when he sends the dessert to the woman that he wants to um, go be with, we see again that idea of control, but giving the uh, person on the receiving end the illusion of choice. So it, it's explored a little bit more, um, but I don't think fully enough to really land the message the way that it could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think... I think in some ways the architect scene is too late in the film because we've already mentioned it a couple of times. I think that that should have been much more substantial. I think that that should have been longer and more drawn out maybe um, than it is because then we'd be able to really grapple with these things. But instead, we just have somebody rambling on about what perfection is while he's sitting in a rolly chair in a white room with screens of Keanu's face on it. So I just struggled to understand how he is able to talk about perfection when that is his version of perfection. But I just, I was real confused. So I wasn't able to fully follow everything he was saying because his just interior design choices are odd. Questionable. Just not sure that you can be really the definitive expert on what perfection is, but that's fine. You do you. But I just, I, I think that should have been the, the, the monumental buildup of this entire film is getting to the architect. So I, I, I wish that they would have set it up to like, that is what Neo is chasing you know, he's not just like blindly following these random breadcrumbs. Go to the Oracle, go to the key maker, go to the this random door. <laughs> yeah. Oh, who are you? Oh, you're an architect. You know, like give them some purpose and something that they're working toward in order to make that like satisfying, make that yeah. feel like this big boss. And then, whoa, we have this consequential choice, which we've already been talking about for you know, two thirds of the movie. Okay. Now we get to apply what people have been talking about 
and then, mm-hmm. you know, fall out from the decision. But I don't know. It just felt like too little, too late, almost as yes. if the architect was like a like an afterthought and not mm-hmm. the main thing that this film was working toward. They should have reverse engineered this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I also feel like they got to the architect way too easily. I they mean, did. yeah. Yeah, I'll need to make this much harder. This is, as you mentioned, it's, this should be the big boss, like, final uh, level to play. And you need to fail on every other part of your journey as you're getting there. But in, mm-hmm. somehow you're overcome. You've gotten to the architect. Oh, my gosh. Now we finally made it here. I'm like, y'all just found some random dude with keys <laughs> and happened to get into yeah. the right place. Like, it just was too easy for them to get there. I, I was – I was surprised. I thought this would be the scene that would happen like in the next movie at the very end after they failed a million times trying to get there. And and I do like how they tried to set the stakes for this, but I, I think because it wasn't clear who we were working toward, those stakes didn't really matter. So like I, I loved when the, the key maker was talking and he was like, okay, we need to like blow the power to this building. And so then somebody was like, oh, yeah, we need to, like, knock out a block. And he was like, no, 27 blocks. Like, excuse? Like, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of yep. work. And then, like, to, to take out the backup system, too. So I appreciated the, the intentionality that they put into all that to make it seem consequential. And, like, holy crap, what in the world are they going to do? How are they going to do all of this? And then the fact that one team died while they were trying to get there made it even better. And so, but I think if we had understood what they were working toward, then Trinity's decision to go into the matrix so that they can accomplish their goal would have made a lot more sense because it was just kind of like, well, chick, like, why are you, why are you risking your life to get into the matrix to follow Mm -hmm. some dude with keys? Like, I don't understand what this is. (laughs) What are we doing? So I don't know. Yes. they could have done just such a better job at making this so impactful and so meaningful but they didn't it's true we were we were meandering through a lot of this movie yep yeah especially when we were showing up to the french dudes i don't know palace i I was like what are we doing (laughs) right (laughs) who is this man also who are the twin like white haired long haired like looking dudes that apparently also have magical powers. I, I know that they were <laughs> right? like the henchmen of the French dude, but yeah. like, who are they? Who are they working for? I have no idea. No context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think um, in in that in that piece, uh, Persephone, the Frenchman's wife, uh, mm-hmm. drops this little nugget of two of the Frenchman's henchmen. That's an interesting thing to say. Um, were an older version of the Matrix. And so then that kind of like sets up where we get with the architect. But again, I think that that could have been something really interesting to try and explore of, okay, you have different versions of these different programs that were created. And so then there are different rules that govern these different Mm -hmm. programs, these different people. And again, could be so interesting, but they just kind of like throw it in there and don't ever do anything with it. Right. Yeah. Right. It's it's like a world building component that isn't fully explored mm-hmm. and the rules aren't yep. communicated clearly. I mean, even with Agent Smith, uh, he <laughs> yeah. says he's a he's a rogue program 
that can like self-replicate now, which is kind of interesting, especially like from a technology perspective, like the idea of of like malware that can just like mm-hmm. replicate itself is like yeah. really fascinating. Uh, but we don't we don't know the rules of any rogue program. Apparently, the Oracle is also a rogue program. Mm-hmm. Yep. What What is the implications of a rogue program in the Matrix? Still unclear. Some of them yeah. are nice and give you <laughs> advice. Some of them replicate and try and kill you. Other <laughs> ones have magical powers. Like no idea. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. And and I also think like the the Mr. Smith situation because he's no longer an agent. So he's kind of in this like limbo of like, what am I situation? Yeah. Let's and get again, him on our side. Yeah. It could be super interesting. Like, <laughs> come on, Superman. You should want like this able to replicate crazy good fighter guy. Mm. You'd want him on your team. Like, okay, Mr. Yes. Smith, what do you need? Like, how can we get you on board? Let's negotiate a little bit. <laughs> Let's band together all the rogue programs and collect them right? in the Matrix world. Yes. And use them to overthrow the central system. Wouldn't that be great? That's a fun movie. That's a really fun movie. And then you could so. have all these rogue programs with cool superpowers and abilities. Yeah. And then and, it. and then it'll make sense because everybody's a rogue, rogue program. So everybody can do whatever they want because we have no <laughs> rules because we've all gone rogue. Yes. Yes. And that would make for some great visual effects. To watch mm-hmm. very entertaining and then you'd have the like can they be trusted and then you could have some betrayals and stuff because that's always Ooh, fun you yeah. know there's a lot yeah. of interesting relationship dynamics that you could do there i actually thought the council leader or commander Locke was like secretly working with the oppressors of the matrix mm, and they're gonna yeah. betray him somehow maybe that's in the third movie who knows there's a whole nother movie there's a whole Perhaps. nother movie wow <laughs> um one thing about the ending of this movie that I'm curious your thoughts on was the whole idea that the whole ship went down in a battle and there was only one survivor and the one survivor is Bane, who is possessed by the spirit of Mr. Smith. I honestly, confession, like I did not pay attention enough in the Bane, Mr. Smith scene that happened like super early in the movie to remember the dude's face so that when they pan over him with his eyes closed, who the heck was he? I was like, who is this guy again? Mm-hmm. I, that didn't land for me. Yeah. I just – it felt like it was supposed to be this big reveal, this big moment. And mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't have enough information to like fully realize the emotional stakes of this final shot of the movie. Yeah, no. That was just really, really bad. I was just like, who is this random white dude? <laughs> like, what? Like, did I miss a scene? Did I like go to the bathroom or get snacks during that? Which I mean, I did have to get up and get snacks every 45 minutes. So, yes, I probably missed some things, but yeah, they again, it they weren't I don't think they were writing with the end in mind. They were just writing <laughs> and throwing stuff together. So like if you want this big dramatic reveal of like, ooh, we have a traitor in our midst. Mr. Smith has invaded his body. Like whatever you want to do, that's totally fine. But you need to lay the breadcrumbs because we're not going to remember who he is. Right. That was yeah. like, who is this guy? Yeah. Was- I thought it was Cypher, to be honest. That was my oh, first reaction. That would have been super interesting. Right? I would have loved He's that. He's got the like facial hair, kind of the same shaped head. <laughs> They're both white. 
white mm-hmm. dudes. That's that would have been a fun, like, like, ooh, he's back. That would have been really freaking cool. I would have loved that. Because yeah. Cypher was super interesting. Yeah. And he was significant enough that we would have remembered him. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Bane, we don't know who that is because we didn't spend any time with him. He was in one scene, right? I think so. I don't- the one scene where Agent Smith is explaining that he's now a rogue program, I think, and takes over his body. Yeah. It was just – it it wasn't enough. <laughs> He is not memorable enough. We were not emotionally attached to him. He doesn't have a story. His only purpose is to be taken over by somebody. And that's just, that's just not enough, you know? Not when there's so much else that happens in the like hour and a half that uh, unfolds between that scene. And that scene happens pretty early in the movie too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I don't even remember that scene. I'm trying to remember it right now. And it's just, there's nothing. My my mind is blank. So I could look up afterwards who that guy was at the end. So was like, he okay, also... now there's Bane. And he's probably going to be important in the third movie. Yeah. Because we left the entire cliffhanger on his face. Oh, gosh. Just uh, it's such bad planning. Yeah. <laughs> it's so frustrating. I'm like, movie movie you expected me to know this but i didn't know this so movie, yeah. you're not making me feel dumb and uh this is not the ex- experience that i would like to leave the movie with <laughs> not expecting to remember this <laughs> and and it's not like we've we've talked about it and i'm always saying this like i love it when a movie knows that your audience is intelligent and they don't yes. dumb things down for you but this mm-hmm. isn't that <laughs> you know this is just sloppy storytelling is yeah. really what it is. And it's very ineffective. And it's a lack of understanding of the way that the viewers' minds think and work yeah. and what they're invested and in, not invested in. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's just bad. Okay. <laughs> Any other last thoughts about The Matrix Reloaded? Um, I would like to give mm, two shout-outs. Uh, one Ooh. is – there is an appearance by Dr. Cornell West. He is one of the council people, and he is just a distinguished scholar. And like he teaches, I think, at Princeton. And it was just a joy to see him randomly pop up in the Matrix. <laughs> so that was just lovely. Thank you, Dr. Cornell West, for gracing us with That's your presence. So random. So random. Why was he I was, in this movie. I, I don't know. Backstory. Probably as a friend. A friend of a friend. I'm sure. Oh, he's but, a philosopher. This is fitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like when he popped up, I was like, oh my God, that looks like Cornell West. Like what? And then I looked it up after and I was like, why are you in this? This is incredible. Is he the one that has like two or three lines in the council scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, that's so random. Right? I was shocked. Also very that's pleased. <laughs> so then my second shout out is to uh-huh. Gina Torres who is in this for like two seconds and it was just lovely to see her. I wanted her to be able to do so much more in this film, but again, I am very glad that she graced us with her presence in this movie. (laughs) She really is in this movie for like less than 10 seconds. It's insane. Yeah. I think she has like two lines or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. She's like going out the door as we we see her. She's wrangling children so that Mm -hmm. Link can have a moment with his girl. But Right. God, she she is just a phenomenal actress. She has great presence on the screen. She does. And mm-hmm. I was just glad to see her, even though it was for only 10 seconds. 
And she's not – well, I know her mostly from uh, suits and she's not in like a power suit. She's in like rags, rags like some kind of rag dress. Mm-hmm. So I didn't recognize her at first. I was like, God, why does she look so familiar? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's Jessica Pearson. <laughs> yeah. Making an appearance. She just looks so elegant too. Always. Gosh. Always. Even in – because she was also in Firefly, which was a little sci-fi movie or sci-fi show. And even uh-huh. in that, like she's this like badass chick, but she just has a regalness about her. And I think that's just yes. who Gina Torres is. She's just regal. Mm-hmm. And yep. she just brings that to every role that she plays. And so she's true. on the screen for a hot second, but she makes an impact. Fun little cameos. Yeah. High-powered lawyer and uh, philosopher. Wonderful. Hey, good stuff. Wow. It's a great Zion cast. is a diverse place. <laughs> Indeed where it all is. are welcome. <laughs> yes. Come on. Bring your stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, this was our review and discussion of The Matrix Reloaded. You can find it available to stream on HBO Max. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our Strategic Whimsy Experiment, and we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your days. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about The Matrix Reloaded. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week faithfully to discuss the next film in this Matrix world, uh, The Matrix Revolutions. We're on our way to get into the fourth one, the newest one. All right. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you very soon. 